BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Very busy news day as we learn new details about the shooter in Nashville and the heroism of the adults involved. We will also get to the absolutely disgusting displays of anger being lobbed at conservatives and Christians. In the wake of this attack, the victims of the attack. (laughs) Um, On a lighter note, our second hour, I have been waiting to take a deep dive into this Gwyneth Paltrow trial. We're going to do that. I'm sorry. I've been watching it every day after the show. I can't get enough of it. There's no one to root for. (laughs) No No one. I'll tell you why. I'll play you all the fun sound bites and we'll have a great legal panel. Um, so we need to laugh a little, and this is just the key to doing that. We'll go there uh, in just a bit. But first, uh, we're going to talk about the state of our nation. It really does appear, it does feel like we're at some sort of crossroads right now. Uh, and one of our favorite guests is back to discuss it all. He lives just minutes away from the scene of the Nashville shooting. And wow, does he have some thoughts on this and a number of other topics in the news. Joining me now, Jason Whitlock, host of the Blaze TV's Fearless with Jason Whitlock. He's also a columnist with the blaze. Jason, welcome back to the show. Great to have you. Thank you for having having me, Megan. It's always good to be here. I'm sorry to hear that you live nearby the the shooting. I mean, that just brings a a next level of trauma for anybody nearby it. And I saw your tweet the other day saying, you know, say a prayer for our friends at the Daily Wire who are under attack right now um, by NBC News, a contributor there, blaming them uh, in the wake of this shooting, because it was a trans, the way you're supposed to say it, it is a biological female who went trans man, um, who committed the shooting and they're just jumping. it wasn't just this NBC guy, many in the media just jumped right to, oh, then this person's anger that caused her to shoot children must be attributable to guys like Matt Walsh of the daily wire. Therefore it's their fault. (laughs) So I, I agreed. I appreciated your tweet and agreed with it fully. Well, I think uh, the work that Matt Walsh has been doing, uh, starting with What is a Woman, has been very important work, uh, defending a fundamental truth and defending women just in general. And, and so I think what Matt has been doing, he's been very courageous. And I've always felt that uh, he, do, he did this knowing that he was going to face some severe blowback, pushback, and threats, and potentially violence. And so, you know, after thinking about the families involved here that did suffer these consequences, I started thinking about Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles and everybody over at the Daily Wire 
because the, you know here in Nashville, this is kind of turning into the headquarters or ground zero of a culture war that that is centered around gender dysphoria, gender identity, uh, the LGBTQ issues, and, and I think uh, because of the work that I do, uh, it's ground zero for the discussion about race. And, and how race is being used to silence people and silence the truth and promote a lot of this gender ideology stuff uh, that's becoming pervasive. And so I, I, I've always known that Matt was taking a real risk. And then when you see this type of violence uh, directed at Christians, directed at believers, and, and perpetrated by someone who, who clearly had some gender dysphoria and some mental health issues, that America has, American culture has seemingly chosen, we're going to treat with surgeries and, and, and not with therapy and spirituality. And we're just going to chemically castrate people and, and remove parts. And, and, you know, Matt, the Daily Wire crew, uh, those of us that are Christian believers, we stand against that. And there's going to be real blowback for that. It's absolutely absurd. They're acting like a trans person got killed by by a transphobic person. That's what they're acting like. That's not what happened. A trans person unleashed hell on a bunch of nine year olds, took the lives of three nine year olds and three adults who devoted their lives to teaching and helping children. That's what happened. The reaction in the media suggests it's the opposite way. I, I think what the trans people would argue, I would disagree with them, but what they would argue is that that Audrey Hale is no, angry. No, we don't like to say the names because, of the shooters. Well, let's not help this person get the infamy <laughs> she so desperately sought. Well, I, I think they believe her anger is a byproduct of American culture not being accepting of trans people. And, and their argument is she wouldn't be angry and she wouldn't have done this kind of violence if Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, Jason Whitlock were more accepting of trans people and normalized this. And, and listen, I think that her anger and the anger of a lot of people in that crowd is, is, is because they don't have a correct understanding of who they actually are. And, and that would be frustrating for anybody, you know? And, and so I, I get their frustration. I think they need therapy, mental help. I think they need a better understanding, from my view, as a Christian, they need a better understanding of God and that they're image bearers of God and that they're made in God's well, she image. She had Christian parents and, and embrace that, embrace that here, identity rather than defining themselves by sexuality and other yes, things. Yes, no, I get all that. I get all that. But like, I mean, I will say it sounds like her parents are faithful and that she was put through the same Christian school that she went and shot up. So I don't know that she took to it, but the introduction of faith in her life had been had been there. But she was obviously mentally disturbed. And I get the the argument, right, that people who are not accepting uh, of gender dysphoria as a thing or of the trans lifestyle, however you want to phrase it, um, that this is what the left wants to blame people like Matt. Uh, or Ben, who at Michael. Um, but you could, if you want to play that game, you know, you could just as easily play it with the far left activists, trans and otherwise, are ratcheting up the rhetoric for people like this shooter, 
um, telling them over and over again, everyone wants to kill you. They want to erase you. They're, they're trying to kill you. There's this crazy video posted on libs of TikTok today where there's this trans woman. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's a trans. It's a biological man, I think. Um, talking about how when the police come to arrest you for being trans, you you attack them, you shoot them. Right, this is a lunatic. This is a lunatic who shouldn't be in front of a camera and doesn't need any more amplification. But that rhetoric's out there trying to spin up the shooters of this world, like this person whose name we're not we're not saying. Right. I mean, if you want to blame rhetoric, you could go that way, too. Megan, the rhetoric that's being used to make trigger everyone emotional and violent is across the board. We're in a culture where everybody's a victim. Every day I could turn on the TV or hop on social media and find rhetoric that says, Jason, you're black. You're a victim. This country has exploited you. This country owes you something. You should be mad as hell. And if a white person doesn't pronounce your name properly or cut you off in traffic or is rude to you in a grocery line, that's a sign of Americans' white supremacy. And you need to get in that person's face. Or if the courts make a ruling that you don't like, you need to take to the streets and burn down buildings and terrorize people. That messaging is across the board. And so this woman was radicalized the same way I'm seeing a lot of young black kids radicalized by this victim ideology that's being preached and stuffed down everyone's throat. It's people have issues. And, and that's why we have therapists, that's why we have ministers, and that's why we have parents. We have people to help people work through their issues rather than just blaming everyone else and then turning violent because, you know, we might, people might disagree. I, I, I don't see myself as a victim. I don't see America as inherently racist or irredeemably racist. I, I, I don't see... America is irredeemably sexist or or, or uh, very, I, I see America as sympathetic towards trans people, empathetic towards trans people, but, but there are some, many of us that don't believe that surgery is the right solution for their issues. You know, counseling and mental health are, are the right solutions, but, you know, everybody, women are being told they're victims and that men have mistreated them for hundreds of years and taken advantage of them. And and so everybody is supposed to turn violent in reaction to their mistreatment. And and we just see it with so many young people. And and that's why, you know, we're at each other's throats right now in this country. It's it's a it's a sad time. I it's it's so not reflective of the childhood and and my first 40 years on this planet. It's only been in the last 10 years where everybody is a victim and everybody is supposed to be angry and and social media is drumming up a lot of this. I mean, I have to say it it's very rare to have a woman commit a crime like this, very rare. You know, and this was a trans person, so it's a woman who doesn't identify as a woman. Um but women actual women are the victims of trans activists who want to take over our sports and our locker rooms and our bathrooms and our private spaces and now our gynecologist offices 
we are the victims of those crazy ass activists. And so I do feel like I'm but we don't shoot up people. That is not how women um, tend to handle their upset. And so it's no accident to me that, you know, you find out this woman, this particular woman who resorted to violence was deeply disturbed. The reports out today, the parents phrased it apparently as an emotional disorder that she was being treated for. Turns out the parents, I'm sure they were nice people who were trying to raise a good child, but they she was hiding a cache of weapons uh, in in her house where she lived with her parents. They did not want her to own guns because of her emotional disorder. Well, they failed. They failed. I'm sorry, but they did. It's I, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for the grandfather out in Uvalde who shrugged his shoulders when he knew he had a potentially violent kid living in, in his house. Oh, you can't force him to go to school. Oh, well, no, you have the charge of a minor or somebody who's even 18 in your house. And in this case, not a minor, but somebody who's emotionally disturbed in your kid. For the rest of society, you must make sure you must make sure this person does not does not have access to the guns. And uh, the reporting is that she had as many as seven legally purchased from various local stores, including three that she used yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, as she gunned down the six victims at the Covenant School. So, okay, that's the latest reporting that she was disturbed. The parents knew it. They didn't want her to have the guns, but she had the guns. And on top of that, Jason, the reporting today is that they told police uh, this is from the Daily Mail, I believe. The parents told police she had a red bag when she was leaving the house ahead of the shooting. They asked her what was in the bag, but ultimately dismissed it, thinking she did not own any weapons. Now, that in and of itself is suspicious, too. What? Who stops the person on the way out of the house and says, What's in your bag? I believe they must have had reason to believe there was something unsafe in there. I'm not blaming this on the parents, but let's face it parents who look the other way when they have an emotionally disturbed child are part of the problem on these mass shootings. Listen, parents and the destruction of family are certainly at the root of a lot of the chaos we have going on in America. I I am sympathetic towards these parents, though, because I don't believe America, I don't think corporate media is allowing us to deal with the fact that Black Lives Matter, a lot of these LGBTQ, transgender movements, these are terrorist groups that are radicalizing young people. I, I saw a comment, I think, that Candace Owens captured, wh- where the mother, I think, had said, you know, my child was pretty normal until she went off to college. And again, these college campuses are radicalizing mm. our kids and teaching them hate and, and teaching them to adopt a victim mentality that says the world owes them something and that the world is completely unfair to them. And so just like we say Al-Qaeda or the Taliban radicalizes people, Black Lives Matter does the same thing. Much of this trans movement does the exact same thing. They radicalize and program these young people to turn violent and to turn very hateful towards this country, towards Christians, towards traditional thought, towards conservatives. It, it's we're all young people in particular are, 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 are vulnerable to this. And it's a lot of it is over social media. And, and, and so I, I do make, I'm going to disagree. I feel sympathy and I'm sure these parents aren't blameless. No one is, but I feel sympathetic for them. I say it all the time. I don't have kids. I feel 
sympathy for you as a parent. Like it's so much harder than when we were growing up. I, I, I've been talking about this for years, how much harder it is for a parent's voice to be heard and to have a voice of authority inside a home. When I grew up, Megan, there was one record player in the house, maybe one TV, and my mom could be in her bedroom and know exactly what I was doing in the living room Same. just by sound. And she would shout out, Jason, get out of that refrigerator. Get out the kitchen. <laughs> Qu quit doing that. Leave your brother alone. And, and now kids got headphones on. They're off in their own little worlds, on their cell phones, on their iPads, in their rooms, listening to God knows what. It's so much harder for you guys as parents. And, and, and so many other people have access to your kids nonstop. Mm -hmm. Godspeed to all of you. I don't know how you guys pull it off. I, 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 I say that I, in all of seriousness. Of course, that we always have this where you're more forgiving and I'm less forgiving, I think. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I am less forgiving because I'll, I'll give you an example. So um, there's this great kid. He's, I think of him as a kid. He's a grown up now. His name is Max Stossel. And he's the child of John Stossel. Uh, my old pal from Fox News, and he'd been on ABC News for you know tons of years, and uh, a great, great guy. He's been on the show, and, and I'm just we're fr friends with the family. Max has gone on to become one of these, almost like a Tristan Harris who worked you know inside of Facebook and then became a whistleblower about how Facebook manipulates us and our children in particular. He's kind of in that role now, and he's going around to various schools and he's talking about um, social media, and he's great because he's young and he's hip and he's cool. And he talks directly to the kids. It's one thing for me to be like, no social media, it's bad for you. It's quite another to have this young, cool guy stand in front of the kids and say, it's going to mess up your life and here's how. So he's doing that. And I love it. And he went to uh, recently some schools in our area and the, the kids were asked, raise your hand if you're not, these are middle schoolers, raise your hand if you are not on social media. And my kids both raised their hands. My, my son's 13. My daughter's about to turn 12. And um, I said, how many people around you also had their hands up? And my son said, I think there were literally like four of us, you know, out of hundreds of kids, like four. And, you know, Doug and I have been telling them all along, you're not sorry, you're not getting on social media. You know, we, I've said before, we kind of use the, the fact that I'm out in the public eye as an excuse, you know, like just you can't be doing that. But also we tell them the truth is bad for you. It's there's all the studies show it's terrible for you. And there are other ways for you to communicate and maintain friendships. And it was so great to have the backup from this, you know, Max Stossel saying exactly the same stuff to them. And I was really happy that my kids felt like, cool, you know, I've, I've managed to dodge a bullet here. I'm a little safer than I knew. And I'm glad. And even my daughter, there's, there's some dust up with the friends. Somebody said something on some social media. She does. She's not touching it. She has nothing to do with it. She's not going to get called in by the principal or anybody else. She's not even on social. So the parents need to be the bumper alleys, you know, like that we need to make sure the ball stays on the lane. That's where they're for. And yes, it's hard, but it's our job. It is your job, but I, I just, technology is turning out to be the ruination of this country. I, I just, yes. I just believe that. And, yeah. and, and it's because it's so vindictive and so mean-spirited. And, and so, I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, 
hate to drive us a different direction, but but it's just on my mind. Look at yeah. the woman in Mississippi, uh, the news anchor for 20 years. Oh, I, she repeats something that's very popular in 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 the culture and American culture. Fascism, my nizzle. Snoop Dogg says it all the time. And because of social media, in my opinion, they fired this woman because her boss is afraid of the social media backlash. And he understands or she understands social media culture that if she doesn't fire this woman for a harmless joke. Jason, can I can I interrupt the, you just to I know we have we yeah. have it. So I'll let me play it for the audience so they know what we're talking about. Um, this is yeah. WLBT, the NBC affiliate in Jackson, Mississippi. They were having an on-air discussion about uh, Snoop Dogg wines, and a colleague joked about the news anchor and meteorologist Barbie Bassett getting a tattoo of the rapper like Martha Stewart did in a recent commercial, and then she responded, as you just said, here is that exchange. He ought to have a collaboration with uh, Julie. No mm-hmm. telling what Snoop Dogg and Julie Levenway could come up with. I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> well, we know it. She'd have a Snoop Dogg tattoo on her shoulder. For shizzle, my nizzle. <laughs> I'm telling you. Julie, what do you think about that? so that's the exchange that now has this anchor off the air off the website they haven't officially said she's fired but she appears to be fired when they take you off the website you're a goner so go ahead well so the julie who's off camera is more social media savvy than the anchor and that's why julie goes huh the black guy sitting on standing on the other side he's more socially aware that's why he put his head down and said oh no social media is going to come for this woman and she's going to possibly lose her job or be embarrassed and so this is how social media has normalized in a normal society before social media had taken over people would have laughed at this woman given her a hard time oh you shouldn't have said that (laughs) and that would have been it But social media has trained us to believe, oh, my God, she's done something that's going to cost her a job. I better not participate. And so their reaction makes it even worse. This is the damage that social media has done to our engagement and communication with each other. It's weaponized everything and turned us all against each other. I know I'm beating a horse that, you know, we've we've somewhat covered and it's my pet project trying to get people to understand what social media has done to us and it's it's it we've we've all turned guns on each other at any time we're all just content and and how can we exploit each other's content for for our own purposes and 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 to sit here and see this you know 55 year old woman that meant no harm that's put together a great tv career she's ruined over a harmless joke uh, and and over a word that I'm sure she didn't really even know what it meant. But even if she did, pop culture has normalized. It's in every rap song. Snoop okay, but Dogg can I just say, just to bring the audience commercial. up to speed, he did Super yeah, Bowl I, don't, I think a lot of us did not realize that you can't say even that N-word. I, I guess I won't repeat it. I'd never, even I did not understand that this N-I-Z-Z-L-E is another form of the N-word, um, and it's a Snoop Dogg thing. And even shizzle is supposed to be like another word for S-H-I-T. See, I'm reigning in the swearing, Mom. Um, so I guarantee you this woman had no idea she was saying a substitute word for the N-word. 
But, you know, even if she didn't know, as you probably saw, there's a push right now to not even let a phrase coined by a black person ever come out of a white person's mouth. You can't the CNN article, right? You can't use a black person in a meme. Digital blackface, yeah. Right, digital blackface, and this is sort of a form. <laughs> so, I mean, she, I don't know why that she's off the way. It could be because of the digital blackface thing. It could be because of the end thing, which I'm sure she didn't know. But, I mean, whatever it is, the standards are so all over the place. And now you have a lot of people in the black community, even on the left, like Whoopi Goldberg, um, attacking this decision by this news organization saying, this is ridiculous. Listen. Megan, I know you were born in the 1990s, but I was born in 1967. <laughs> and I've 70. lived long enough. I've 70. lived long enough, Megan, to remember a time when people could say inappropriate things, slightly and unintentionally, no harm. And, and everybody would just let it go and, and just yeah. move on and, and acknowledge no one was harmed. It was no, awesome. And, 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 and America does not promise you that your feelings will never get hurt, that, that no one will ever say anything that makes you uncomfortable or slightly offended. Social media has recalibrated everything that people are running around pretending like, well, America hasn't lived up for its promise. If I hear anything that I disagree with or slightly uh, uh, makes me uncomfortable, mm. that that's what America owes me. That's a joke. I don't want to live in that America. I, 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 I don't. Who wants to be that careful? Who wants to? Uh, maybe I'll say this, and I'll probably get in trouble for it. If I yeah, were a white person, that. I would be in, afraid to engage with black people. I would be, because you just never know what will come out of your mouth that will trigger them, or, or trigger us. And you don't know. Am I talking it's to not black people? Who I can it's talk not black to like people. It's woke people. Or am I talking to someone who's waiting to take me down to build up their own career? But don't you think it's not black people? It's it's woke people. I I don't like to talk to woke people. So I I would have no oh, fears about. I mean, a black woke person, yes. A white woke person, yes. You'd have to be very careful if you didn't want to offend. I mean, I think you're past that point, and so am I. But yeah, that's like it's these wokesters who are telling black people they're victims. They need to be offended. And telling, you know, women and telling trans people, I'll tell that, you know, that they're, they're the ones with the messaging that we're victims. But I don't, I feel like their messaging is failing. It hasn't failed, but it's not as strong as it was even two years ago. I feel like we're starting to see some promise in the fight against the woke. Uh, I think that's true as long as Joe Biden is in office. And and once he's out of office, they'll just drum up all the same little. They'll, they'll find a new George Floyd, and mm. everybody will be back on television, well, pretending so like George Floyd didn't resist arrest or whoever this is isn't resisting arrest, and that the cops should just you know run around and beg people. Hey, would you put these handcuffs on yourself, please? Uh, mm -hmm. that, that that should be the standard and we should de once you know now that Trump's not in office they're in they're playing a little bit nicer but it, it's it's going to regardless once they're out of office once they're out of power or once if they ever do get out of power the way they can control elections but it, it's going to go back to the, the way that it is I, 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 I don't I'm not and look maybe I'm being too cynical 
uh, and too negative, Never. but I, I don't, I don't see it going the other direction. We had a nice little uh, moment with Elon Musk taking over Twitter. That has helped. It, it is legal uh, to have some opinions that are conservative now. But didn't I just see? I don't have the details, but I think Michael Knowles just got suspended from Twitter for yes. uh, quoting a Bible Posting verse. A Bible and verse. so. I, I the don't Bible know verse if it's was over. about vengeance, but he wasn't calling for it. He was, the, I, as I recall, the Bible verse was basically like, "Don't seek vengeance." You know, that's up to God. Um, but it's from the Bible, so they took down the. the I don't know if this was an attempt, a, a, like a failed attempt to be fair and balanced. They took down the trans activist Day of Violence promo, and this was not the conservative equivalent of that. I think somebody got confused. But you're right, Elon Musk is making a difference. Just yesterday, we talked about the story on how, you know, NPR last week had tweeted out uh, in in response to this world organization saying we're not going to let trans women compete against actual women, biological women in track and field. Uh, they tweeted out the article tisk tisking the decision saying, despite the fact that there is very little evidence showing that males have a have a physical advantage over females when it comes to sports. And and Elon Musk's new Twitter attached one of their fact checks, you know, that the rest of us have been dealing with from the covid lunatics and all these other lunatics on Twitter for so long. Now it's going the other way. And they attached a, a fact check with all the studies saying you're a dumbass, NPR. <laughs> yes, there are many studies about, to prove what we already already know. All already know. This is so simple. It's not just about men being on average taller and stronger. But but just let's deal with this fact. A woman competing in sports has to train while on her menstrual cycle, has to sometimes compete while on her menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Leah Bill Thomas, the Ivy yes. League swimmer, <laughs> has he ever trained while on his menstrual cycle? Has he right. ever competed while on his menstrual cycle? I've never had a menstrual cycle, but I would imagine it's harder to train and compete while on a menstrual cycle than when you're not on a menstrual cycle. How, how can you tell how can you tell me there's no advantage? Especially in the pool. Anywhere. If playing football or running track or whatever, if you're on the cross country team and you have to deal with a menstrual cycle and the other person never does, that's an advantage. Yeah. No, you're right. There's all sorts of issues. I mean, from bloating to breast pain to, you know, just feeling uncomfortable. And some women have endometriosis. There's all sorts of things that can cause a lot of pain down south in Rio and all over our bodies. It's part of the joy of womanhood overall. Still take it rather than leave it. But um, yeah, there's issues. No question. And you're right. That's on top of the fact that our femurs aren't as long and our bones aren't as strong and our muscles aren't as strong. And not to even touch on the testosterone, which, you know, doesn't reduce all. What happens to a woman? her hormones when she takes birth control pills and and leah bill thomas never takes birth control mm-hmm. pills how about the old thing about like the, you know the baby how about the fact that some athletes get pregnant and have to deal with that too <laughs> leah bill is never going to have to worry about that yes leah bill <laughs> i'm sorry but I'm, I'm actually growing to kind of loathe leah thomas i like all the stuff i've heard about this person suggests this is an arrogant self-centered nasty person who was, couldn't win as a man, decided to change over to women's sports. From the look of what I read online, it's because Leah gets off sexually 
undressing as a woman. I don't know that that's gender gender dysphoria. A lot of our top trans activists who are reasonable have been saying that's not trans. That's a sexual fetish. Uh, And then they stuck him in the pool with all the actual women where he won, of course, their medals. So I don't I don't have a lot of tolerance for Leah. Um, Something about Leah reminds me of the typical man or the kind of when I was young, the kind of stupid, perverted thoughts you'd have as a young man. Like, hey, I, I get to go into a locker room and get naked around a bunch of really in shape, attractive women uh, while I'm competing. That'd be fun. I, I would have enjoyed that at 21, 22. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I think it's what gets him off, according to the tweets that someone named Leah Thomas and the Daily Wire took a deep dive on this is liking all over uh, online posts. It's about he gets off on dressing as a woman. It's himself in the women's clothing that gets him off. So they put this, I guess, sexually aroused person uh, in with female athletes who are just there to win, to compete and win, uh, suffering from none of those other challenges that we just went through and then they're like oh it's amazing he won an espn espn wants to celebrate leah bill during women's history month just the final salt in the wounds for people like riley Gaines. megan i'm not you've got kids i don't know if you have a daughter but again if you're a parent is this the world you want to leave your kids that they got to compete potentially against men that they have to shower as young women with guys that they don't know and don't have an interest in and 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 guys that claim they want to be a woman but want to keep their bat and balls uh get to <laughs> run wild and get trophies and get celebrated this guy's a fraud and you're not wrong for disliking him he's a narcissist he's fraud he's a coward he's a who he's he doesn't want to compete. He tried competing against right. men and wasn't Failed. good enough and then said, I'm going to go get my rocks off and go shower with women and compete and get attention and become a celebrity uh, on this gimmick. And it, it, it's. You, and I'm, I'm jumping around, but our values have changed so much. I know Tucker was talking about this last night and we talked about it last week, I think, on our show. They've got the Pew Research has done something about how much our values have changed and how much more we value money than we used to, and how much less we value religion than we used to, how much less we value family than we used to. Patriotism. Our, our, our values have changed. We value attention. It's the greatest thing on the world. This is the selfie, narcissistic generation. We're all caught up in it. Mm. All of us. This dopamine that comes from social media and comes from just getting attention by any means necessary. China's laughing at us while we're doing all these TikTok dances and trying to get people to, hey, look at me. uh, We're not building better human beings. We're not building a better society. And and we've adopted values that that just don't lead to long term success. China doesn't even allow its Chinese children to go on the Chinese equivalent of TikTok during the day. You're limited, I think, to like 40 minutes or something. Um, so th- I heard one social media expert say they they get, they got us, our kids all hooked on candy. They give their kids broccoli and we just eat it, eat it up and say we don't pay any attention to that. You know, lot, too much candy can cause disease. Too much candy can cause obesity. Too much candy can cause you to get a little, you know, fuzzy in the head, not do as well on your exams. 
It's not really good for you in any way. Broccoli, on the other hand, is cruciferous vegetable. It can prevent cancer. It's really good for you. It makes your hair nicer, your skin, right? And we just keep shoving in the almond joys. Like, oh, what, what could possibly go wrong? Um, I've got to talk to you about Sonny Hostin and The View. I'm going to save that for right after the break. It's the best clip of the day. I don't know if you've seen it, but we have got to spend some time with our friend, Sonny Hostin. Jason Whitlock stays with us. Don't go away. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit tnusa.com Megan. That poll you were mentioning, uh, we talked about it a few days ago, too. It's, it was by the Wall Street Journal showing the decrease in our old traditional values like family, like uh, love of country, like love of God, and the increase of love of money. And um, you're right, too. Love of self, right? And not in the good way. <laughs> not, you know, the love of attention. That's a better way of saying it. Um, so they had a discussion on The View about world superpowers from the sound of it. That's how they got into it. And um, Sonny Hostin made some comments about patriotism and America and black America. It's all in there, Jason. I mean, it's all in there. I'm going to tee it up. It starts with Alyssa Farah, who's supposed to be the you know Republican commentator. And then you'll hear Sonny jump in. Listen. If America is not the number one global power, it's not going to be Denmark. It's going to be communist China, a country that right now the government is imprisoning Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps. It is a deeply racist government. It's a human rights violating government. It is a government that if they are the leader of the free world, we are not a free world the way that we are right now. The notion of patriotism and the notion of the of America and the American flag has been co-opted by the right as if they are true patriots. Mm-hmm. But when I listen to Christopher Ray, the president, the, the head of the FBI, he said white supremacy is the biggest domestic threat to this country. And so as a woman of color with a six foot two black kid in college and a five foot seven, five foot eight black kid in high school, I don't see that part of American exceptionalism. I'm sorry. I think this country has a lot of problems that could be solved. Yes, maybe they're putting uh, Muslims in jail in Afghanistan, I think you mentioned. And China, China, they're putting a lot of black, more black people in jail here. Oh, my God. I mean, wrong on some. First of all, those those Muslims being put in jail in Afghanistan. No, you dumbass. No, it's a genocide happening right now. In China, with the Uyghur Muslims, it's been very well covered by your own network, madam. If you would just pay attention to the news that doesn't feature your face, you might actually learn something. Um, So she's actually comparing the concentration camp encampment, imprisonment of one million Uyghur Muslims in China to, which she thinks is Afghanistan, to black Americans serving time in prison 
which the latest stats tell me just for by the by the by the numbers are 760,000. So she's even wrong on the math, not to mention all those other things. Can you believe? Yeah, no, I, I can believe it. I'm just going to circle back to I, I've got a, a theme just as it relates to public figures and people on corporate media. Everything they say is tuned towards how's this going to land on Twitter? How's this going to land on social media? They don't care about espousing any truth. And it's just like, is Twitter going to like this? And Twitter rewards still, even with Elon Musk in control, it rewards comments like this. And it's celebrated. And the whole, again, we're a victim and we can't acknowledge any progress in this country. This woman can't even acknowledge that she gets paid a ton of money and her kids live a very privileged lifestyle because of the ton of money she makes for sitting on TV talking about a lot of Thank shit you. she doesn't know anything about. And Thank and you. I apologize for cursing. I'm trying to do less of it and I do less of it, but the woman <laughs> has triggered me because she's an idiot. She She's preaching to kids a, a, a victim mentality that produces negative consequences. If you see yourself as someone who can't make it here in America, you're not going to make it here in America. She's ignorant of world history, of global world history. She's ignorant of, of, of virtually everything. She's just saying something that sounds good. She's supposed to say mm -hmm. the woke people will applaud it. She can go out to dinner tonight in Hollywood with her elite friends. And they can sit around and, yeah, you you really stuck up for the underdog and the little people and you kept her. And it's it's all BS. It's just her trying to say something that she thinks will be popular, will trend over Twitter, get her back in the news cycle. She doesn't even believe it. it Let it, me tell you something. This is she, what gets Sonny rewarded, Hostin? that kind of stupidity. And, and if anybody, she's sitting there knowing that if anybody short of Whoopi called her out on that bullshit, she would then mm -hmm. be able to claim that they're racist mm -hmm. and, and people would go for it and that person would be in trouble. And, and, and I, I got to be careful because sometimes I can veer into uh, sexism. But again, if there's a man, <clears throat> a real man sitting on that desk with them, a real one, he <laughs> would call her out for that stupidity. It's, that's one of the dumbest effing statements I ever heard. Do you understand anything so about American levels. history? And then walk her dumb ass through American history so that she gets it. But she's sitting there with a bunch of women. They don't want to offend each other. They want to make well, sure they're I'll all say, friends and go off the team. On behalf of women, let me tell I, you that it wouldn't take a man. I could sit out there and handle this just fine. It, de it depends on the woman and the motivations on set. Those women just want to be stars. They want to remain under the clique lights and beloved by the left-leaning view audience. So there's only so far they'll go. And Meghan McCain did a good job of calling out uh, Sonny on her BS, too, when she was there. One of the reasons she left is it was intolerable to sit on, in that chair. But let me, let me tell you this. This is what jumped out at me, and you touched on it. Thank you for doing that. She wants to focus, when they're talking about whether America's a great country, right, whether it should remain the, world, the world's greatest superpower. She wants to take us down by saying, no, white supremacy is dominant in America. Just ask Chris Ray. It's our biggest domestic threat. I don't see that part of American exceptionalism. I have a black son. I have a black daughter. I don't see this part of American exceptionalism. This country has a lot of problems. Sonny Hostin 
went, she, I think she went to Binghamton uh, undergrad and she went to Notre Dame Law School, which is a great law school. Her son right now is at Harvard. That son she wants us to think is sitting there oppressed, who she's got to fight on behalf of because America is so awful to him. They're educating him right now at Harvard University. And Jason, would you take a look at this? Because I want to guess I haven't been to your house down in Tennessee, but I'm going to guess it doesn't look like this. This is Sonny Hostin's home in this shitty country that she can't stand that doesn't treat black people like Sonny well. She let People magazine feature (laughs) her home. Look at this dump. This country sucks. It, it, she went to Notre Dame Law School. She makes millions on The View. Her son's at Harvard. I'm sure her daughter's at private school on her way to some Ivy League. This is where Sonny lives. And F off, America. I can't stand how you've kept us all in chains. That's her messaging. I'm going to be very politically incorrect. You know, again, these African-Americans are always out to prove how black they are. This woman's half Puerto Rican, half black. Her grandfather, maternal grandfather is Jewish. She has identity issues. And so she's always in desperate pursuit of trying to prove just how black she is. They always do too much. That's why Colin Kaepernick, raised by the grace of God, by these two awesome parents, two awesome white parents that stood in the gap for his white mama and black daddy that didn't want him and didn't have anything to do with him. And then he turns around and takes a dump on these people that saved him from the abyss and comes out and says they raised me in some problematic racist ways. It's the African-American that is constantly trying to prove how black they are and they're idiots and need to be told to sit down and go somewhere and, and, and mind their own business either. They're, they're not representing the actual thoughts, conditions, concerns, of black people. They're out trying to work out their identity issues and have their black moment. It, it, it's mm. a joke. It infuriates me. And and anybody that knows me, anybody that knows anything about my dating history knows I have no problem with interracial dating. None. Zero. I, I, I don't have that kind of bigotry problem. I do have a problem, though, with people that aren't qualified and are trying to work out their personal problems by expressing opinions about this country and about people that are totally inaccurate, they're divisive, they're intended to tear us apart, to, to sit there and quote this Ray guy and the FBI, oh, the white supremacy, that's the biggest threat in the world. When anybody with a brain has watched these Black Lives Matters clown burn down America, tear down America, we see the videos of the violence and, and where it's coming from. Someone showed me a video of the Proud Boys doing any damn thing other than standing around someplace and getting blamed for it. And again, that's not a defense of the Proud Boys. But I got constant videotapes of Antifa and Black Lives Matter doing real violence. And Christopher Ray and Joe Biden and none of these lying idiots have the balls to stand up and call out the left-wing violence and the left-wing racism that is destroying this country. And so, great, uh, Sonny Halston can repeat some Democratic talking point that's been fed to her by the FBI and Joe Biden, but she don't know what she's talking about. Mm. I know. I was thinking about it yesterday when we saw those cops go into that school. Uh, Speaking of fearless, you know, they went in there 
and did their duty. And they knew at any moment they could be shot, they could be killed, they could never go home to their families, but they did it. The same cops that were told are racist bastards who are struggling now to refill the ranks that who retired after the beatings they all took in the wake of George Floyd. Those same cops, those are the ones who saved who knows how many lives yesterday, uh, who, you know, Sonny Hostin, she was one of the ones who held up the hands up, don't shoot fake news sign on CNN, never apologized for it. Where's her mea culpa? She, does, she just wants to say she's America's smartest commentator. Guess what? The facts show us otherwise. It's Jason Whitlock. All right. Speaking of Jason and what he's got going on, I want to tell you before we end, he is hosting the Fearless Army Roll Call Conference on April 15th in Nashville, encouraging men to put on the full armor of God and to reaffirm America's core values. Give me one line on that, Jason. What, who are you looking for? What are you looking to do? Well, I'm looking to inspire men to bear witness to the power, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. I'm a very flawed person, as you just heard me talk. And if you've heard me talk about my past and the struggles I've had, uh, you know I'm a flawed person. But I'm not going to allow my sin to silence me from a truth that America needs to hear and needs to uh, adhere to and, yeah. and obey. And we need to legalize the truth again so we can move this country forward. And I love for it. me, all foundational truth begins in the Bible. I love that you said, I'm not going to allow my sin to silence me. Good, good, something to meditate on. Thank you, my friend. Great to see you. Thank you. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. The trial of actress and entrepreneur Gwyneth Paltrow continues this week over a 2016 ski crash at Deer Valley Resort in Utah. I was just there three weeks ago. A retired optometrist is suing Paltrow over the crash, claiming that she crashed into him and that he was the downhill skier when she did it, alleging that he sustained a brain injury, four broken ribs, and emotional distress. He was seeking $3 million originally. The court threw out part of his claim, and now it's down to $300,000 in damages. Paltrow claims she was the downhill skier, and she was the one who was hit from behind by Sanderson and sustained a full-body blow. That was his fault. She is countersuing for $1, $1 in damages and the repayment of her legal fees. The celebrity trial has brought no shortage of interesting moments from the cast of characters involved. It's amazing. It's so good in, in so many weird ways, including, of course, Gwyneth Paltrow herself. Here to discuss it is correspondent and law and crime host, Anjanette Levy, who's been covering the trial for our pals over at Law and Crime. Anjanette, great to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, Megan. I appreciate it. All right. So are, are you as glued to this at night as I am? <laughs> I, 
I don't remember, like since Johnny Depp, I don't remember like just typing in Gwyneth Paltrow trial. And I don't care who the witness is. I'll watch it. It doesn't have to be her. I'm, I, whatever. She's interesting, too. But I, are you into this or what? I, I think that she I, I want the camera to be on her more so I can see more of the facial expressions, the, you know, the pout, the yes. like when she doesn't <laughs> get something, but she doesn't feel like she's getting her way or, uh, you know, just the attorneys, uh, the the lead attorney, Kristen, for the defense uh, last weekend or last Friday when Gwyneth was on the stand. I was uh, amazed and amused at the discussion about high heels and liking the high heels and oh my oh. gosh you're 510 i'm 55 but i have to wear 4 inch heels uh it's a little bit absurd but amusing at the same time and there's a certain bit of stagecraft i think everybody in this involved in this trial gets the stagecraft aspect of this so yeah. uh, it's hard to turn away from that that lawyer you just mentioned is the star of the whole show <laughs> i personally think she's absolutely terrible but i that's what i love about her i can't get enough of her <laughs> I would she, never hire like this you, person. What is she going to say next? What 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 kind right. of amazing, crazy thing is going to come out of her mouth next? I know. I would never hire her, but I would never hire Gwyneth's lawyer either, who no. I've got to tell you, like 100 percent, I'll play the clip in a minute, reminds me <laughs> of the stuttering lawyer in My Cousin Vinny. Remember that guy? <laughs> cannot look That's at him. That's a good comparison. Yeah. I, right? I The first day I thought to myself, could this guy be any more rude? I mean, you're supposed to kind of want the jury to maybe relate to you, but you're yes. the meanest guy I think I've ever met. Yes, honestly. And the way he keeps, he's got some hideous cold and like he is <laughs> snotting all over the microphone, all over the lectern, all over his papers at every, and sometimes he does have his tissue. Sometimes he doesn't. If he doesn't have his tissue, he just uses his finger to get the snot coming out of his nose, which is also something the stuttering guy and my cousin Vinny did. I got a lot of thoughts on this whole thing, Anjanette. But before we get to the fun, Let's talk about the substance of the trial. So I outlined the dueling claims in the intro. It really mm -hmm. is a he said, she said. And let me just ask Definitely. you this as a procedural matter before we get started. Do you know why Gwyneth Paltrow was one of the first people to testify? And she appeared to me to be testifying as part of the plaintiff's case, as opposed to waiting until it was her chance to pre present her defense, which would be the normal time you'd call her. I am unsure of that. And I found that to be very odd that the plaintiff called her yeah. during his case. And I, apparently, obviously, that is allowed uh, in this type of trial in, in Utah. But I, I found it to be very odd because maybe they're trying to show, oh, look, uh, here she is. She's a celebrity. She wants to get out of this. And then they have Sanderson, Terry Sanderson, the plaintiff, maybe come up later in the game to show, oh, look, she's not going to accept any responsibility for this at all. And then they put him up as the older um, elderly gentleman, 76 years old, who suffered all of these grave injuries and a TBI and things of that nature. And it's really impacted his life. So I'm mm -hmm. wondering if there was a strategy, a strategic decision here. You've got all of the daughters coming up, the ex-girlfriend first before them. And now, uh, you know, you get to Gwyneth, you leave with her on a Friday with letting the jury kind of ruminate and think about what she said over the weekend. And then you get to Sanderson to begin the week. So I'm wondering if there was a, stra a strategic decision there with that. You know, when I was back practicing law, I tried a case in my hometown, Albany, New York, and um, I was young and I was wearing my nice suits, you know, that I had just gotten with my new lawyer money. And mm -hmm. I, we had a, what we thought was a winning case, but we did not have a good star witness. And I remember before we went to trial, you know, the judge always tried to, to push the sides. Could you settle it before you try the case? And I remember the judge asking us, 
because we were like, look, look at all the evidence we have. And he was like, how's your star witness? And he knew our star witness was not that good. He just wasn't good. He wasn't going to be liked by the jury. And I'm seeing both of these issues in this case. Gwyneth, I don't think she's that likable. I, I, she may be telling the truth. I don't think she's that likable. And I think that's a handicap for her side. And Terry Sanderson, the star witness for the plaintiffs, he's the plaintiff, is also very tough to believe. So both of these sides have an Achilles heel in their lead witnesses. And she's also got the extra Achilles heel, which I did not see in my own sparkly outfits. They did not cost anything near what Gwyneth's outfits are costing. They're talking about like a $65,000 bill for her necklaces alone. The internet looks this stuff up. Um, But that's not smart. I learned too in front of that jury. By the way, we lost that case in front of the jury and then we got it reversed on appeal. But, you know, these are factors you have to worry about. How How are you coming across? I think, and I think she started out very poorly the first couple of days, uh, the first day and people, I got a lot of grief for this on Twitter that I commented on her clothes, but it's part of the presentation in a high profile case, especially when you're dealing with celebrities who are paying somebody to style them, you know, presentation is everything. And you have to show a little bit of respect for the court. When she showed up the first day in that sweater, I thought it was, it was a pretty sweater, but it was a little casual. Things got better as the week went on. This is later. I think that it it matters and how you convey yourself to the jury matters. And when she was sitting there looking like, oh, this is so, I'm so inconvenienced by this, Uh, you know, the pouting, the, uh, the faces, I I don't Mm -hmm. think that that plays well. Now, maybe the jury there in, in Park City, Deer Valley will, will be okay with this, but I don't think it was a good look for her. Yeah, I thought I she was a little bit amusing on the stand at times. She kind of politely threw it back at Kristen, the lawyer. But at the same time, I think she started off on the wrong foot during this trial. And anytime you're sitting there chuckling at things, I, I think that's a risky game to play. And mm-hmm. I mean, she's a stunning, beautiful woman. She's a movie star. A lot of these people may, may know who she is, the jury. But you have to conduct yourself in a way that's a little more gracious, I think, inside the Maureen courtroom. Callahan, writing for Daily Mail, did what only Maureen can do. My God, I love reading her. She's like the best read. Um, and she says, uh, she goes, oh, the pouting, the puckering, the $1,600 Celine bag and the $425 wide leg pants. But whisper it in the case of ice cold actress versus the little people. Here's why haughty Gwynny might just win. And we'll get to that. But she also goes on to talk about how um, n- nothing says relatable like uh, your $65,000 jewelry. Or <laughs> She said, uh, nothing says relatable like wearing the equivalent of a down payment on a house. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would have advised stand, her to tone it out, down like, just a little bit. Be yourself. But we don't need to go over the top with the clothes. We get it. You're rich and you're successful and there may be designers handing their clothes to her and saying, wear yeah. this to court. You never know what's going on behind the scenes. But I think you do have to uh, you have to be cognizant of, of these things. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I, somebody mentioned this during the Depp Heard trial. I, I thought some of Johnny Depp's suits were just meh. I kind of said that on Twitter uh, and some of but some of his suits were were. They looked great. He dressed for court every day, showed respect for the court. Uh, And I thought Amber's outfits, I think she could have used a little bit of help. Like the Colonel Mm -hmm. Sanders outfit was not flattering. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I I think but I think when you're you're saying to to your audience, to your jury, and they are your audience, that I am not at fault here. I didn't do anything wrong. 
I'm being magnanimous and trying to make a point by just asking for a dollar plus my legal fees. I'm not countersuing this gentleman for an outrageous amount of money other than my legal fees. You have to keep in mind that how you act and how you dress matters. And, yeah. and But maybe the jurors expect this. Oh, she's a celebrity. She's going to be dressed to the nines and wearing very expensive jewelry and clothing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You're right, though, because the Part of what was distracting to me when she was on the stand was the, I'll see if my Botox, Botox allows me to do it. But the, with the, like, <laughs> with the eyebrows up, like, oh. Yeah. I might be able to do it. I'm overdue for, for yeah, Botox. I, actually, I, yes, I'm getting some pretty good movement. eyebrows, yes. <laughs> so she's definitely, like, her facial expressions are so affected. It's a turnoff. But then we got to meet the plaintiff. <laughs> This is a whole host of crazy coming from his side of the aisle, which we'll talk about. So let's just set it up still on the substance. He's saying she hit him and his injuries from this crash on a, the beginning of a beginner ski run were catastrophic. And there has been expert testimony about just how bad he says he broke four ribs, two in, entirely severed, a traumatic brain injury from being, quote, knocked out by her after she slammed into him and all this testimony and how he's just like a different man, teary, crying, the daughter. That to me, like, how do you think that's playing? Because it seems to me like an overreach. I, I think a little bit of I think a little bit of it is over the top. I mean, he maybe he did suffer some broken ribs, but there had also been some discussion about him suffering head injuries prior to this. Maybe this exacerbated that. But it didn't sound like he was all that great of a guy before this happened. It didn't sound like he, you know, his daughter, he and his daughters had this fabulous relationship. I mean, maybe he's just kind of a grumbly, disgruntled guy, generally speaking. So I, I don't know. It might be a little bit over the top on his on his mm -hmm. part. Um, yeah. 76 years old, retired optometrist. The, in, the accident happened in 16. He filed a lawsuit in 19. They have one eyewitness, one eyewitness who is his friend, right, who Ramon, says it happened yes. the way Terry Sanderson said, that Gwyneth yes. hit him. She's got a witness who she was paying, her son's ski instructor who works for Deer Valley Mountain, mm -hmm. who it seems to me he's not claiming to have seen it, but he is somehow saying it was Terry Sanderson's fault and not Gwyneth's. And that's what it made. He made it kind of sound like it was indeed Terry Sanderson's fault, even though he didn't directly see it. He came upon this after the fact. Uh, it was interesting, though, because his friend, uh, Mr. Ramon, there, there were apparently some messages from before the lawsuit was filed in which he was wait, wait, talking before we about get to this that, crash let me pause you with there. other people. Let me pause you on that. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just pause you there because this is a great piece of the story. So just okay. first set up what Ramon, <laughs> Terry's friend, said that was helpful to Terry. And then tell us a little bit about how the cross of this eyewitness, the only guy to see the crash, went. Well, he, there were these messages discovered uh, in which he discussed this and said that, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow hit Terry. And and he was going back and forth with other people about what he said happened. And it was interesting, though, because the cross-examination of this witness, it, it seemed a little bit combative. He was a little bit standoffish at times, not wanting to acknowledge things that he had said in his dep deposition, whether or not. Gwyneth was wearing goggles or a helmet. She's wearing goggles and a helmet and she's you're so many feet away and, you know, everybody's dressed similarly. How are you going to know who hit who unless you really had your eyes 
on somebody and these people could have collided and you know tumbling around and everybody's entangled with one another uh, so they went through his uh, deposition you know point by point and kind of poked some holes in what he said but these messages that came to light mm. i thought were pretty interesting because they were prior to the lawsuit being filed and I guess you could say maybe he was in cahoots with his friend, who knows, uh, but he was, you know, saying things that were different on the stand than what he said in his deposition uh, prior to the trial. So here he is. His name is Craig Ramon. He, this is Terry Sanderson, the plaintiff's friend and the only eyewitness to the crash in Sade 18. I looked over and then about, you know, maybe one or two seconds um, and then I hear the scream, and then and then and then I see this 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 gear just slam into the back of Terry, and when and she just slammed him, and so Terry she hits him right directly in the back, and so then uh, then his skis are like when you're skiing, you're skiing like this, his skis his skis actually the tips go out like this, and he falls face down. So he's he's kind of he's kind of spread eagle, and he goes face down, and, and Gwyneth's on the top of him, and, and they go down like this, and then Gwyneth hits him, and then bounces off and slides to the right about five or ten feet. So that's the friend, and then on cross examination, he was asked about what he said at his deposition, which didn't totally line up with his on the stand testimony, as you point out, saying um, first of all, Gwyneth's lawyer points out when I took your deposition, you claimed that Terry had his helmet on, but the person he collided with was not wearing a helmet. Um, didn't you tell me that, that the person, that she was not wearing a helmet? And Ramon said, I don't remember what she was wearing. Because it is somewhat implausible to think that Gwyneth Paltrow was on this mountain. It's me, Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> hey, everyone, here I am. Without yeah. her helmet she and her goggles. She said she tries to like blend in with everybody else so she won't be recognized. Of course. And honestly, she was skiing. That's when you have your helmet. I mean, like, it's right. absurd to think that she would be like a it. daredevil going down a slope of any kind without a helmet on. And she was kind of a beginner skier, too. So, I mean, there's just doesn't make sense that she wouldn't have right. had the helmet on. So it does suggest he was lying at the depot when he said, oh, I knew she hit him because I could see her. I could see the blonde hair and I knew she was the one. So they got him a bit on that uncrossed, suggested he was a liar. They also got him to admit that Terry said that he was OK. Terry, right after the accident, the, the victim, alleged victim, said he was OK. And the lawyer got up and said, didn't you say that? You said that five years ago and I take your deposition. And he responded, well, if I did, I probably didn't understand your question. I think you're taking this stuff out of context because I never said he was OK. But then then this interesting twist happens that you talk about where there's some online app called the Meetup app where people mm -hmm. chat. And Craig Ramon, that witness was in there and one of the viewers went in there and found an exchange by Craig that really helps Terry Sanderson. And it was well before Terry filed the lawsuit, Anjanette. Right. Yes. Yes. And he was basically saying things, answering questions from people in this app about the accident prior to the suit being filed, as you said. And the things he said in there did make it sound like he was adamant in there that Gwyneth hit Terry and that he was hurt. So these did contradict, uh, these did counter Gwyneth's claims that she was mm -hmm. the one who was hit. So so what what is the truth? Is it the deposition? Is it the messages prior to the lawsuit being filed? Is it what he's saying on the stand? Uh, the truth shouldn't change. The truth should be the truth. So that his, those answers should be consistent.
Mm-hmm. So do you have any back of the envelope guess on how this is going now, having watched that the plaintiff took the stand, Gwyneth took the stand this week, they read testimony from depositions from her two children who mm-hmm. didn't witness the accident, but heard her down in the lodge afterwards saying some asshole hit me. You know, <laughs> So right. even to her kids, she was maintaining the story of I was the one who got hit. Um, you know, both plaintiff, the plaintiff and the defendant are both kind of odd slash unrelatable or unlikable. You know, how do you handicap this one so far? I don't know. A lot of it's hard for me to tell because there have been times where I thought Gwyneth was winning. But then you've got these other times where there seem to be things playing in Terry's favor. But part of me thinks, is Terry embellishing? Is there something more going on here? Uh, I know that, you know, they were saying from the get go that Gwyneth was saying she was hit. Is it possible that they both think the other hit the other? I have no idea. I, I, I guess that's possible but it just seems to me either one person is up the hill one person's down these things should not be that it should there shouldn't be that much confusion over who was who was going down the hill who was farther down who had the right of way who was supposed to yield uh, so, so i don't know it could end up being a wash mm-hmm. i i don't know but by all accounts it seems like the jury is kind of enthralled by this and whether or not they are going to believe gwyneth over over terry We'll just have to wait and see. I don't think it was a good look for him to not be in the courtroom uh, during a lot of the testimony. I guess he wanted his daughters to be able to speak freely and not feel pressured. But they're your daughters. They you should they should be able to sit there and tell the story or what they experienced from their vantage point without feeling pressured by dad. So it just seemed like a very strange dynamic. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah, he claimed they were going to give testimony about what how bad he is now, like what, how, how much brain function he's lost. And, uh, you know, the, the, the lawyers represented, oh, he, you know, Mr. Sanderson doesn't want the, the daughters don't want the dad to hear that. So he's going to be outside of the courthouse courtroom for their testimony. We'll see. Um, it gets, does the jury get the case tomorrow? I heard it's wrapping up Thursday. Yeah, it could be tomorrow. Uh, it sounds like it could be tomorrow. It was supposed to last eight days. Uh, so so we'll see. It sounds like things are winding down and wrapping up. And we'll be keeping an eye on it, of course. How much more could there be? A law and crime <laughs> network. Love it. Right. right. I mean, how many more witnesses could we get on there? Um, love your coverage, Anjanette, not just of this case, but of all of them. Well worth the oh, follow on you. Twitter as well. Great to see you. You too. Thanks for having me. All right, we're not done. We're going to be right back with Mark Garagos and Jonas Bilbor, who have been watching this trial, and we're going to play you all the sound bites in this next segment and talk about why the internet is comparing Gwyneth Paltrow to Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Sometimes the internet is a force for good, notwithstanding that discussion in hour one. Here to continue our coverage of the Gwyneth Paltrow ski crash trial is Mark Garagos, trial lawyer and managing partner at Garagos and Garagos. And Jonas Bilbor, criminal defense attorney and founding attorney at Jonas Bilbor Law. Okay, so back to Maureen Callahan, who I just absolutely adore. She goes into uh, like her observations on this trial and she says, there's Gwyneth, typical Gwyneth, with her, her sipping green juice, hiding her face from the non-existing paparazzi. 
be, uh, holding her, her face behind her $250 monogram Smithson notebook, which she loves so much because it has no lines. Pouting, puckering, wan expressions of boredom, her barely concealed texting during testimony. It's quintessential Gwyneth who once said, I am who I am. I can't pretend to be somebody who makes $25,000 a year. I love Maureen. This is one of the reasons why most celebrities would not go to trial. The closer look we get at them, the less we tend to like them. And let's face it, we don't tend to be rooting for them going into it, do we, Mark? No, we don't. I, I, you know, you and I discussed before uh, Depp and Heard that, that uh, who wants to air that? I actually think in some ways Johnny came out of that uh, uh, much better than I ever expected. But this has been this. I was telling your producer, Megan, I'm more fascinated by this case than Depp and Heard for a variety of reasons. I oh. the lawyering in this case nothing gets me more excited than watching the lawyering in this case. <laughs> it's amazing. We've got to kick it off, guys, with the lawyer, Kristen Van Orman. I'm sorry. I have a love-hate relationship with her. I do not want to be like her. I don't want to be. I do not want to be just like her, but I can't take my eyes off of her. Here is the highlight or, depending on your view, low light reel of her. And I'm assuming you're under oath here <laughs> that you're a good tipper. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. I wouldn't expect anything less. I'm a mom, right? I've got a couple kids. Um, actually, about your age, one of them. Not your age. Your, your daughter's age. Sorry. I'm not that old. <laughs> May I ask how tall you are? I'm just under 5'10". Okay. I am so jealous. I think I'm shrinking, though. <laughs> you and me both. I have to wear four-inch heels just to make it to 5'5". Five five, well, so. They're very nice. Well, thank you. We're about the same height? About five five with heels. It's roughly. Oh, tell me, I'm taller, please. <laughs> I was yelling at him. Pretty loud. Pretty forceful. I was pretty upset. Right. You're yeah. small but mighty. Actually, you're not that small. <laughs> you were wearing goggles, a helmet. Yes. Okay. Kind of looked like everybody else on the slope. That's always my intention. Okay. Probably had a better ski outfit though. I bet. <laughs> I still have the same one. <laughs> Oh my God, Jonna, is it over? Did it stop? It's just. It's never going to be over. <laughs> never going to be over. You know, this whole fangirl thing that she had going on is literally cringeworthy. And cringy. if I were her client, I'd be a little ticked off because the message that sends to the jury is even I like her, you know, <laughs> and I have to cross examine her because she did my client wrong. Like it was just really really horrible and she was trying too hard and i'm gonna have nightmares about uh, you know that whole when she made the comment about you're not that small <laughs> i just wish i could have got inside Gwyneth Paltrow's head <laughs> at that very moment it uh, was, see, i see i have a different interpretation of the it's motivation so behind those moments I, I, mark but let me let me I, tell you i don't see her as trying to ingratiate herself with gwyneth paltrow i think that's her i'm just like you members of the jury i'm poor not rich i'm relate. i'm short not tall i don't have a fancy ski outfit i recognize how unrelatable gwyneth paltrow is and i'm just making a big joke out of it all that only we the utahns watching this get well you you so you took the thought right out of my head i said what what i was going to say is one of the oh. reasons i don't do state court 
outside of California is because the peculiar culture is something you just can't tap into <laughs> that quickly. And if if this is effective in that Utah state court, then that it proves my point because right, this never is go. Cring- it's cringeworthy. It why do, it's Utahian doesn't sound right. My viewers in Utah need to tell me how to say that. Utahian? I don't know how we refer to our our friends in Utah. Um, I know they're not all like this because I know a lot of folks who live there. Um, this, so I think she is making a miscalculated attempt to ingratiate herself with the jury. I don't think it's going to play. Um, but the the lawyer representing Gwyneth Paltrow, in his own way, is equally annoying. So he's been kind of a jerk at various times. And he's also a little bit of a stutterer. Like he doesn't have a stutterer. He just like he trips on his words a fair amount. And the thing that's driving me crazy is this massive head cold that he appears to have where he is snotting all over every trial exhibit, his hands, his nose. He's got like the tissue. He's shoving the tissue up his nostrils with every other (laughs) question. Take a Sudafed for the love of God. It's distracting. It's gross. He's really sticking it up the nostril. Here we go. Highlight reel, and I'm By sorry, way, Megan. But, do you yeah. have has the thought, or Jonna, has the thought crossed your mind? Isn't this guy reminiscent of the public defender and my cousin Vinny? I oh my I, god, I said that. I not only did I say that, I have it queued up for you, Mark Garagos. Here's the man. Here he there, is. Nobody told me, but January fourth of this year, my client did indeed. Uh, Visit the Sackasuds. Um, 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 convenience store. But, but, he didn't, um, cure anyone. He, he, uh, um, <laughs> Mark. I cannot watch this without thinking of that scene, without thinking of the opening statement. It just, I've never, that's why I said this to me is infinitely more intriguing than Deputy Heard. (laughs) Megan, I have a phrase for him. He is purposely unpolished is the phrase I have Mm. for her attorney. And if you keep showing my cousin Vinny clips, I'm going to do my best Marissa Tomei impersonation. It's phenomenal. I do usually it. save it for after I've had a cocktail, but I'll do it for you if you want me to. We can talk about it later. Hell Absolutely. yes. Wait, who cares about the trial? Yeah. Let's see it. All right. Well, I have to say, I'm going to, I can say any word I want, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ms. Vito. Is, yes. Ms. Vito. We want to hear from you. This is the line. It's called disclosure, you dickhead. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> very, very good. There's so many classic moments from that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Where she's like, imagine you're a deer. <laughs> the whole scene <laughs> in your fucking head. Sorry. Okay. That was an unnecessary swear. Um, all right. So here's what Gwyneth Paltrow said happened to her. She claims she was the innocent victim minding her own business. And what she thought was a perverted dude came from behind between her legs with his skis and whammo. They're down in the snow. Watch. I was skiing and looking downhill as you do. And I was skied directly into by Mr. Sanderson. I didn't know if it was an intentional assault of a sexual nature. Right. Okay. Um, was he grinding and thrusting or something or just the noises? What's, what, what made you think it was a, an, a sexual assault? 
So that was a quick thought that went through my head when I was trying to reconcile what was happening. I was skiing and two skis came between my skis, forcing my legs apart. And then there was a body pressing against me and there was a very strange grunting noise. So my brain was trying to make sense of what was happening. I thought, am I, is this a practical joke? Is someone like doing something perverted? This is really, really strange. My mind was going very, very quickly and I was trying to ascertain what was happening. He was still on the ground, right? Yes. When you said, what are you doing? Yes. Okay. Like, why did you do that? Yes. And he said, I think you skied into me. Yes. And that's when you were furious and said, you skied directly into my effing back at the top of your lungs. Yes, I did. Okay. I apologize for my bad language. After you were screaming to him, isn't that when Mr. Sanderson said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? That I thought it was very minor on the day. And you didn't stick around long enough to find that out. I stuck around long enough for him to say he was okay, to stand up, that he told Mr. Christensen he was okay. All right. So before we play the plaintiffs, what did you make of her, Mark? I made uh, that I'm going to make a bold prediction on your show that this is the subject. That clip will be the subject of a Saturday Night Live skit this week. Mm. I have no doubt because the amount of comedic material that was just there. And by the way, this, can you imagine, Megan, go back to when you were trying cases. Most of the judges I know would have gone ballistic on me if I had had even tried any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there was the one moment where the woman cross-examining her, who we talked about, the lawyer, tried to get Gwyneth to come down off the stand and do a reenactment with the lawyer on whose legs went into who she was going to, I guess, come from behind and like do the grunting. I have no idea. Thank God there was an objection which was sustained. (laughs) No one needed to see that. All right. So (laughs) that was fine. That was her. I mean, I will say I didn't like her little Jana, you know, like. I'm sorry. Forgive me for swearing, you know, come on. Right. She's so fake. Yeah, that that was a little fake. I also thought it was odd. I mean, she lost some points with me because I can think of a lot of situations where she might feel that somebody was sexually assaulting her, but going, I don't know, 20 miles an hour down a ski slope, really, that just didn't add up for me. Like it's more plausible that you're just going to bump into somebody and fall down. It's not plausible that somebody's going to come at you 20 miles an hour and try to cop a feel. So that didn't make any sense. That's such me. a good Probably point. I, why didn't I think of that before this moment? I mean, one time I was in Italy, there was a guy jerking off on a bike as he went by me. That was actually very, I mean, that was, that was impressive. It was nimble. It was it was nimble. <laughs> so, but like in a ski mountain, in your whole in your gear, you're right. right. That that's an extreme extreme. Fell flat, fell flat on me when she said that. This is why you're a brilliant lawyer because you think of you get you get the really sensible uh, takes on things. All right, so let's wait no longer. Here's Terry Sanderson, the plaintiff in this case, trying to reenact what he says happened in his eyes. This is SOT fourteen. There was nothing, nothing in front of me. And so um, I came around that corner and it was, it takes my breath away to think I, this is hard because I, I don't like going through this scene. I, I just remember everything was great. And then I heard something I've never heard at a ski resort. And that was a blood curdling scream. Just, I can't 
do it. It was, and then, boom. And it was like somebody was out of control and going to hit a tree and was going to die. And that's what I had until I was hit. You know, I got hit in my back so hard. And it, I, I'm right at my shoulder blades. And it felt like, and was perfectly centered. And the, the fists and the poles were right there at the bottom of my shoulder blades. Serious, serious smack. Never been hit that hard, and I'm flying. I'm absolutely flying. Now, you're not airborne. Well, it. all I saw was a whole lot of snow, and I didn't see the sky. But I was flying in that sense. Did the person who struck you land on top of you? I wouldn't know that. I absolutely would not know that. I was just surprised. I had no upper body strength enough to be able to catch myself. I had no idea. Do you remember hitting your head on the ground? No, that part, no, that's all gone. Okay, before we react to that, I'm just going to give you a flavor of how cross-examination went because we cannot discuss Terry without discussing moments like this one. Um, SOT 16. Do you recall saying uh, that you agreed that saying I'm famous was a crazy thing to say? Agree? Absolutely, it's not me. It's, I don't buy into that. But it was you, right? Just to right. be clear. When you say it wasn't me, it, it was in fact you. It's the other personality that's inhabiting my body right now. And you blame Gwyneth Paltrow for that? Yes. No question. <laughs> who would who would like to start on on that one? <laughs> I once had a, a preliminary hearing, Megan, where the 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 woman who was the accuser against my client admitted on cross examination that she had multiple personalities and oh. that one personality had been the victim of my client and. This apparently, I you know that that woman was actually diagnosed with a psychiatric illness. I don't understand what what this guy is doing. I don't understand why his uh, lawyer thought this was a good road to go down. They had coming attractions. They knew from the deposition that he was going to say these things, and he's going to blame Gwyneth for his split personalities. Yes, that's what happened, Jonna. He's the, what was what we were seeing there on cross for the audience is he had tweeted to his daughter, sorry, uh, texted to his daughters after the accident. I'm famous because he was in the news for having collided with Gwyneth Paltrow. And there was testimony by one of his daughters that he'd been Googling himself and kind of getting off on seeing his name out there linked to Gwyneth as like, I'm a star. And he admitted at his deposition, you know, that he did do that. And now the lawyer's trying to rub it in his face and he's saying it was his his split personality caused by this brain injury that he, he the normal Terry would never have celebrated his fame. Right. You know why? Because the normal Terry didn't just have multiple personalities. The normal Terry must have had multiple bodies because he used to be able to multitask by driving down the road and reading at the same time. And part of his damages is he's no longer able to do that. Thank the Lord. So <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was kind of funny that his damages are actually one of his daughters said part of his damages are damage 
to his personality because his personality has changed. Not that that happens anyway when you're, you know, maybe getting up in years. And how do you prove damage to a personality? So this guy, uh, you know, this adds credence to the theory that he is only here because it is Gwyneth Paltrow. And if it were John Q. Public, we never would have heard of Terry Sanderson. Mm-hmm. I know the thing, the thing, the feeling you get, Mark, that he may be lying about his damages undermines his entire claim. I agree. And he, he comes off as a grifter. Uh, and, and this does not help the cause at all. But by the way, it's kind of a battle of who do you who do you want or detest more on this case? Because mm-hmm. it really is when one side does something, the other side says, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to one up you. It's just the mm-hmm. that's why it's so fascinating and intriguing. It's true. Well, she found the perfect lawyer for her because, you know, she's off. She is off socially. Like, I mean, the, the, just the, the stuff I was quoting from Maureen Callahan, you know, like, oh, I can't act like that. And she well, she got she was in the news, according to Maureen, for uh, she was on some Vespa and almost like cut off a school bus full of children. Like she's just a little flighty and a little out there and not somebody you can really relate to very well if you're sitting in that jury box. And um, and yet he appears to be lying. <laughs> So, but he's got the witness. He's got the friend. Give her lawyer credit. He kind of dismantled this guy with that ah shucks cross-examination of his. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how he recovers from that, especially because he's got the burden of proof. Unless, like I said, unless this plays well in Utah. I've tried cases in Utah. I just don't find that to be true. He, but he's got the friend who's the eyewitness. And not only does the friend, of course, it's his friend. I get it. The friend wants to support Terry. But as we were talking about with Anjanette, they they found messages that the friend posted online. I'm trying to find the exact ones um, earlier before this case was ever here. They are ever filed in which he said things like the following. Um, she took her plane out of Millionaire Airport. What makes me mad is Gwyneth took out Terry and then took off. Another one reads, Terry was not doing the man thing. He had a bad hit to the head. You do not get taken down the hill by ski patrol if you were hit on the ass. He's saying like he didn't just stand up and say he's fine. He might have said in the moment that he I'm okay. But the way the witness testified about it, it was just like, a, oh, yeah, I'm okay. You know, like he didn't know what had happened to him yet. And then he writes on what you did not see was Terry was knocked out cold. I did see the hit. Terry did not know his name. I asked him and he did not know. And goes on to say, you're trying to make light of it. You guys didn't see what I did see. So that's pretty helpful. How do you get around that, John, as as Gwyneth's lawyer? Uh, I'll tell you how. First of all, Gwyneth Paltrow is the size of a straw. These two collided. (laughs) She basically hurt her knee and had to go get a massage. He's claiming traumatic brain uh, injury. That doesn't add up. Megan. Now, you know, granted, I know sometimes you could have a car accident, right? That's a slow moving car accident. One person can get very hurt. The other person doesn't. But when you're person to person like that, it just doesn't make sense for him to be that injured. And and don't forget, um, her camp brought in some experts. And I think there was an expert on the stand earlier today talking about examining his brain scans. And he was his brain was the same as now as it was before the ski accident. So he's got the science isn't on his side. Let's put it that mm. way. 
Mm. You know, in addition to that, not only is the science not on his side, if you watch him on direct, which the jurors will, and then watch him on cross, he clearly is changing or he's got that kind of facile ability to change his memory, to change his recall and to change kind of the the appearance of uh, how he's acting. That's not somebody who's had TBI. Mm -hmm. And they're even talking about in the his lawyers are talking about confabulation. I mean, it seems a little crazy under cross-examination of the University of Utah's director of stroke rehab, which got who got up there. Uh, Terry, the plaintiffs got to cross him. She, he was Gwyneth's lawyer. And and this guy had said this guy, if he, he probably didn't have a loss of consciousness, I don't think he did. And if so, he, it can't be called a concussion. He had pre-existing anxiety and depression. He has a history of drug seeking prior to this collision uh, and goes on. And then on the cross. Sanderson's team asked him, this witness, about the phenomenon of confabulation in which a person invents experiences that never happened while earnestly believing that they did, suggesting being any inconsistent testimony by Mr. Ter- Sanderson was the result of his brain injury. Well, that's convenient, Mark. Is, isn't it? I, I, just, I just actually you could take that and shove it right back at them because that he could have had confabulation prior to this. And that would and it really would have been supported by some of this testimony. So mm-hmm. I don't understand what they're doing. I, I don't even understand why this case is being tried. The insurance companies, I would have thought, would have said no to this nonsense. Well, a lot of people think that she is in the right and they believe her because she's a celebrity, Jonna. And they think, why would a celebrity put herself through this? Three hundred thousand dollars is not that much for someone who's flying out to Deer Valley on a private jet and has sixty five thousand dollar necklace on while she's not to mention the two thousand dollar shoes and so on while she's out in this court and subjecting her children to taking depositions, her husband like she's in it. She is in it to win it. You know, I thought the same thing. And uh, similar to what you said, Mark, like, why didn't this settle? And the only thing I can think of is one of them had to be unreasonable, right? So either her camp said, we're not going to pay, we're not even going to pay nuisance value to make this go away. Or the other side said, we're not going to settle for nuisance value. And I'm more inclined to think because of the celebrity factor, it would be, you know, the the plaintiff side claiming, I might as well go all the way. I got nothing Mm -hmm. to lose. I get to spend, you know, five days sitting next to, to Gwyneth Paltrow in a courtroom while she looks like she'd rather be eating ground glass and that's going to be my claim no, to fame. Not ground glass. You're so right. I had a, there was a judge here in L.A. who once said he was head of the mediation practice in L.A. Spirit Court. And he once said that a trial is basically to determine who the asshole is. And that, that, <laughs> so and many that's choices. Right in with your theory. So, Gwyneth, we've talked a little bit about her fashion. She made news at the top of the trial, which was my favorite news of the week, I have to say, where they she wore these glasses which I love when the internet does this. Somebody remembers what this look reminds them of and they're spot on. What it reminded them of was serial killer and cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer. It's spot on. The two of them, we got to do the side by side where you can see them together. It was perfection. I absolutely loved it. She did. I think that was a mistake with those glasses and that look. But Jonna, one of the reasons why people don't like Gwyneth and why it wasn't cut glass, she was thinking about eating, making those faces, it was her normal diet of bone broth, is because of sound bites like this, which hit the internet just last week, her sharing her wellness routine on the Art of Being Well podcast. Listen to this. What's your wellness routine look like now? I eat dinner early in the evening. I do a nice intermittent fast. I usually eat something about 12 
Mm -hmm. Um, And in the morning, I'll have some things that won't spike my blood sugar, right? So I I have coffee, but I really like soup for lunch. Um, I have bone broth for lunch a lot of the days. Try to do one hour of movement. So I'll either take a walk or I'll do Pilates or I'll do my Tracy Anderson. And then I get in the sauna. I dry brush and I get in the sauna. So I do my infrared sauna for 30 minutes. And then for dinner, I try to eat, you know, according to paleo. So lots of vegetables. It's really important for me to support my detox. <laughs> it's like looking in the mirror. No, that's your, isn't that your routine? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I do that. I do that every day when I'm not a uh, nurse in a hangover. I, she's just so, she's just so, think about it. She created a candle that she said was vagina scented. Okay. So why should we really uh, want to emulate her daily routine? It's like, Oh, you know, I get up every morning, I do a little yoga, then I eat air, then I do some more yoga, then I dry brush and I get a massage. How nice of you. Some of us have to work. That's all I got to say. About that. Did I smell my vagina? Fuck. <laughs> <No. laughs> Mark, I'm going to well, you gonna sandwich me between you two and talk about the vaginas. We <laughs> send you the possible? candle. <laughs> send you the candle. Okay. So she did have a moment of being out of touch or so it would seem. So it sounded to many when she talked about why she's suing for $1. Why she's suing at all? Really? Why does she have a counterclaim? And here she was talking about that. Is it true that you feel it's unfair that Mr. Sanderson has brought this case against you. I do. And he has deterred you from enjoying the rest of what was a very expensive vacation. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. Okay. And um, I think that's that's what your counsel has argued as well, that you lost, a, you had a full day pass, but you can only ski a half a day. Yes, I went back down after lunch. Okay. Right. And that's when you had lunch and you got a massage. Yes. Okay. Oh, a single tear. Ooh. <laughs> Lost a half day skiing and had to get a massage. I mean, she's trying to justify her $1 claim. I get it. But this is her problem. That, that kind of sums up her problem with this jury. Um, yeah. All right. Let, before we go, quickly, predictions on how it's going to come out. Mark? I just think it's got to be a pox on both their houses, which would be maybe award each side one buck. He wins, but not much money. Jonna, what do you think? I think it's going to be a wash. Yeah, I think they're not going to they're going to not believe either one of them. And it's going to be a wash. Hmm. I think he wins, but they give him almost nothing. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure he's going to win. He's been such a hot mess. But she's also not likable. So she could definitely walk away with a victory. It's not one of those cases where I feel like, oh, 100% is going to go this way or the other. But I just feel like there's zero chance he's getting $300,000. Anyway, love it. We'll update you on it. And uh, thanks for all the laughs, guys. See ya. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks to you, the audience as well. We're going to be back tomorrow. Oh, with some dying to do this case. Family annihilators. Murdoch, the Chris Watts case, and this other case that I've been obsessed with. I'm going to walk you through all of it. That's tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.